mature Christian. So on a scale of one being, let's not talk about that, to 10 being superstar, all-star, way up there, just come up with a number. Come up with a number of how you would rate your maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, take a minute. All right. So I don't care about the, I, I do care about the numbers, so that's fine. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you were over, you know, over or under, but that would be interesting. Uh, but I, the question I want to ask you is this, because you all have a number in your head. What's your criteria for your number? How did you come up with that number? What's the scale? What is it that you're going, I feel that I'm a four or a 10 or a, hopefully none of you think you're a 10 because then you got issues already, maturity issues. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, you came up with a number and the question is, what did you use to measure that? Like, is it church attendance? Is it, I've been a Christian a long time. I know a lot about the Bible. I mean, what is the criteria that you would use, right? I think most of us would be honest and say, okay, you know, I could do better, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, what is the criteria? Because that's really what this series is all about. This series is really about what is it that really is the bottom line basis for what a mature Christian should be measured by? That's what we're talking about. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about, we said the first thing is, that a mature Christian loves God and loves others. Jesus said the whole law is kind of boiled down to those two things, love God and love others. And, you know, frankly, if you did those, then you'd get just about everything else right. I mean, it's just kind of like that's the big... But we need to, we need to drill down a little more to the details. So that was the first one. The second one was that mature Christians help others take one step closer to Jesus. And we said, you know what? It's not always helping them to cross that line of faith because there is a line of faith because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a calling that has to happen. But many times it's helping them over a hurdle. It's being a friend. It's being an encouragement. It's just kind of walking with them through tragedy and trouble and trials. Sometimes it's just helping them to be the first person they've ever met that they respect that happens to be intelligent and is a Christian. But it's helping a person take one step closer. And understanding that every day you have divine appointments that God has brought uh, people and opportunities into your life that you can help a person take one step closer to Jesus. Think in your own life. There's probably people, there's probably things that have happened and that people have come, maybe for a period of time, maybe just for a moment, and they've helped you take that next step because you couldn't take it alone. You think back and you remember people, events, so, love God, love others, help people take one step closer to Jesus. And then this weekend, we're going to talk about they leverage their time, their talent, and their treasure for his kingdom. That's what mature Christians do, okay? So, that's what we want to talk about. Uh, the passage we're in today is Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. Why don't you pull your, uh, your tablet or your, your phone out, or if you have your Bible, get your Bible, and let's look at what uh, Matthew, what Jesus has to say, actually, this, this account. It's very interesting. By the way, uh, 
any helicopter parents here? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> um, you may think helicopter parents is something that's happened in the last five to ten years. It was way back here. This is like the first occurrence of a helicopter parent, I think. Um, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Look at what it says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can, can you drink, probably looking at the two of them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Now, when Jesus says, can you drink this, he's not saying, you know, I got a cup right here. I'll bet you got, no, that's not what he's talking about. The cup represents his suffering. In other words, he's saying, can you suffer? Can you be all in like I'm all in? Because I'm going to be all in. I'm going to drink a cup of suffering here. And uh, essentially, notice what they say. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can. And Jesus affirmed that. He said, he said uh, you will indeed drink from uh, my cup, but, you will, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. How dare they? Uh, how could they even? Why didn't I think of that? Why? Could, I mean, essentially, that's what they're thinking. You know, they beat us to the chase, right? Um, but when the ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, the, on, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Uh, if you can, underline in your Bibles or on your phone these next four words, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So three things I want to draw out of this passage uh, about maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian. What is, three things that we can draw from this passage as far as this whole idea of giving your, you know, leveraging your time, talent, and treasure, being a servant. Num uh, a, a mature Christian serves God and others. Now, our culture basically is, is kind of different. Our, our Amer especially our American culture, is very materialistic and it's very individualistic. And basically... We like a greatness in our culture is found to being at the top of your thing, whatever it is. So if you're an athlete, it's being the best athlete you can possibly be. If it's in business, it's being the best in your field of business. If it's um, in education, it's having a lot of degrees and, and having a lot of knowledge. If it's uh, politics, it's you know, winning your, you know, you know, for your party. Um, fashion, business, entertainment, sports, all those different areas. And so essentially, the, the, in our world, it's we look to those people, like I guess there's some, I don't know, the Emmys or something's on, Oscars or something's on tonight. So everybody's going to go, oh, look at them. They did this movie and it's really good. And, and, you know, look at them. And how many, how many do you have? How many Oscars? How many Emmys? Emmys? How many Grammys? You know, how many do you have of those? You know, and you have them behind there and you, as you're doing a Zoom meeting and everybody sees, you know, your greatness, right? Look at you. Look at what you've done. But in, in his kingdom, greatness is upside down. 
It doesn't come by statues that adorn behind you during a Zoom meeting. And when you look at the whole greatness in his kingdom comes by serving God and others. And when you look at the whole mission of Jesus, um, if you want to be a servant, uh, if you want to be great, you, be, you become a servant. Now, why don't we get this? This is pretty easy to understand, isn't it? This isn't like rocket science, right? We're not doing rocket surgery here, right? Um, we don't want to get it, I think. We get it, but we don't want to. Um, I want to read you a passage. This is Philippians. Paul writes these words. I think they were really powerful words. Paul is saying that the, the God who created the heavens and the earth, who put the stars in the skies, who made this incredible, beautiful planet. You see some of the places that, uh, in this, on this planet that are unbelievable. They're so beautiful. They're so gorgeous. Places around here in Iowa, they're so gorgeous. The one who made all of those, they made us, and sus the Bible says sustains life as we know it. This is what he did, and this is what we get from Paul in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset Christ Jesus had, Christ Jesus, as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The road to greatness in his kingdom is through servanthood. It's not through being served or having many servants. It's through becoming a servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. That could be a great song. Somebody write those lyrics down. I think I've got something. And yes, I know that's already a song. I'm just being cute and stupid at the same time. Maybe more stupid than cute, but that's, that's, your, that's your opinion, right? All right, so, here's, so that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, a, a tr mature Christian manages God's resources well. A servant's always mindful that everything that they have, everything they own is not theirs. They are merely stewards of what they've been given. So you drove your car here. You didn't drive your car here. You drove his car here. And you're probably going to go home to your house or your apartment. It's not your house and it's not your apartment. It's his house. It's his apartment. And you say, well, I'm, you know, got to get lunch for my kids. They're not your kids. They're his kids. And we get into trouble when we don't understand that, that they belong to him. Everything that we are and everything we have belongs to him. And that's the, 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 the problem that we have of ownership, because we think we own things. And that's why when we hold on to things too tightly and they get pulled away and our world begins to fall apart, we realize that we've messed up with this idea of ownership. Because true owners, people who understand I'm merely a steward, hold things loosely in their hands. We've been called to manage his resources, not to be mastered 
by the materialism of our world. And that's the problem, isn't it? We have such a pull for materialism, to get more, to want more, to need more, right? We have to have this. If we get this, we'll be happy. If we get this, and there's nothing wrong with being, you know, living in a decent house and driving a nice car and and wearing decent clothes and eating good food. There's nothing wrong with that. The question is, what are you doing with what is extra, right? Every one of us has been given time, talent, and treasure. And our role is to leverage that to use it for his kingdom, not for us. And uh, that's a hard thing to do. The question is, how well will we manage the resources that God has given us? Now, let me just say this, and I didn't say this at the, the first service, but if you live in America, you are in the top 90 to 95% of the richest people that are, have ever walked on this planet. And you might feel like you're poor. You go to a third world country, you go to China, you go to Russia, you go to South America, you go to some of these places. And it's not, of, it's not a matter of what am I going to have for lunch, it's uh, what do I want for lunch. It's more, more, for many people, it's where am I going to get water? Where am I going to get uh, food for today? And so we are very blessed. And uh, it's not to, for you to go home and beat yourself and feel badly. It's for you to say, okay, God has richly blessed me. Now what am I going to do with that? Now let me give you a point of application. I just want to say to you, and if you're uh, watching online and you gave online and you're, part, you're, you're, you're listening right now or maybe you're wa- listening after the fact later on, thank you for joining and thank you for being part of it because people are here in this audience, but people are also watching. They're watching live, but they're also watching after the fact. They're, they're part of this community because of that. And many people who are here right now gave to this border crisis. And many people online gave to the border crisis. People that never have been in this building gave. And I just wanna say thank you so much for doing that. Two weeks ago, we told you, I think, that we had gotten about $8,000. We took the Good Samaritan Fund and we got $8,000. It is over $20,000. As of of right now, it's over $20,000. $20,000 in, I would say, less than two weeks, we gathered in this group, and the group that's watching us online, this part of us, our group online, $20,000 was given to these boys and girls, to these kids, okay? Um, so I just want to say thank you. Now, now I'm going to turn the coin, and this is where you, so now this is where you go, add a boy, good job, okay? Now this is where I'm going to flip the coin, and you're going to be a little uncomfortable, because I'm going to ask you, does it take a crisis for you to become generous? You hear what I'm saying? In other words, we, I, knew, I knew that when we asked you to respond to this, that you were, because you, you are generous people. You absolutely are generous people. But sometimes you're more generous when there's a crisis. You know, that's one way to give, but it's not the best way to give. It's not the best way to give when, when, you say, well, I, 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 there's an emergency, and I guess I can do it now, and I can give my time now, and I, I can use my abilities now, and I can, I can give now. 
But you know what? Life isn't always emergencies. Life, a lot of times, is pretty boring. And, and, and what a mature Christian does is they are generally, they're, mature Christians are generally generous. They're looking for opportunities that don't have to be these mountaintop emergency, give now. They're just willing to give when they see a need. And I want to challenge you that you understand this area of ownership because the, I, I thought the video was, was a really good statement. We always get wound up and we say, well, if God, when God gives me more time, if God were to give me some talent, if God were to give me more resources, then, then you would really see me kick it into gear. And I go, liar, you're such a liar because I don't believe you. Because I see people who, are, who have very little to give, but are giving a lot. I mean, that's, isn't that the story that Jesus tells when he sees the woman with the two coins? And he puts the two coins in. He goes, stop the bus! And he says, did you see that? And the disciples go, what? She puts in two little coins. It's nothing. And Jesus says, she gave more than anyone. She gave out of her need, not out of her excess. And it doesn't mean you always need to go and give out of your need. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus basically is saying, we measure things based upon, if I have a lot, then I'll give a lot. And Jesus, you don't have to have a lot to give a lot. And we're not just talking about your money, but we are talking about your money. And I think one of the biggest hurdles to go to where you really step into maturity is when you start doing this with your possessions, with your money, and you're saying, God... What, how do you want me to leverage this for your kingdom? And then it gets real. When you're starting to pray, God, okay, I have this bill, but I also feel like ob an obligation here, and I won't be able to get this thing that I want, but this is probably better use of the money. When you start having those conversations, that's where your faith gets real. And by the way, that's where you really see God do some amazing things. But look at this verse. I love this verse in Psalm because we're talking about ownership. We're talking that we're stewards, that we don't own it. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 10, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. I don't need anything from you. God doesn't need your money or your time or your talent. But he desires it anyway. I love the part in that, in that um, verse, Psalm 50, verse 10. It says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I remember uh, hearing a story about a pastor who was praying and the, the church had a need for something that we're trying to do. And in the prayer, the pastor prays, Lord, we know you own a, uh, a, a, you, you know, a cattle on a thousand hills. We need you to sell some of those cows. <laughs> See, we're merely stewards of what he's entrusted us into, into, into our care. Um, 
And one day you're going to be called to give an account. And that's really what the parable of the talents, and write this reference down, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And so the story of this, this is a, real quickly, this parable, Jesus says, well, there was three, three servants, and one got five talents. We don't really know what the talents are. Just see them, see them as nebulous opportunities. You have time, you have abilities, and you have money, resources, right? And so they're given, one, one steward is given five, and one is given two, and one is given given one. And so the, the master goes away, he comes back at a later time, and he brings them in, and he says, okay, bring them in. And he brings the guy that gave five, and he says, what did you do with the five? He says, well, I doubled them. And he says, he says what we always want. You know, have you had those moments where you, you, you're going to get the moment of truth, the word, and you're not sure what it's going to be? You hope it'll be positive, you hope it'll be good. And um, one of those is when we stand before Jesus one day. And what do you want him to say? We, we don't want him to say, depart from me, I never knew you, because he says that to some. But he, in this parable, he says, and the master will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant. That's what we want to hear. And so all I'm telling you is this, there's going to be a day of accounting for what the resources that you have right now, how are you investing them? How are you leveraging them? It's not important how much you have. It's, that's the, the whole parable, the woman who gives the two coins. That's, it, it's, God sees your heart. He sees what you're doing. See, the whole point of it is servants don't get seen. They're not in the spotlight. They don't get celebrated. When you're a servant, you're kind of working behind the scenes. Nobody notices you. The greatest people in heaven are not going to be the people you think. They're going to be people you've never heard about. They were faithfully serving God with the resources that God gave them. Mature Christians leverage their time, their talent, and their treasure for his kingdom. Here's the last one. Seek greatness in his kingdom. So let me ask you a question. Should a Christian ever seek greatness? Because when we read this passage of Scripture, it seems as though what Jesus is putting the kibosh on, and some Christians would say, Christians should never seek to be great. How dare they? They, they, should, they should humble themselves and not seek to be great. Is that what this you know, the, the first passage we read in Matthew 20, is that what Jesus is saying? Is he saying to the mother, how dare you ask this? What's wrong with you? He doesn't really say that. It, you know, the disciples are kind of put off by it, but yeah, Jesus says, yeah, are you going to drink the cup? Yeah, I guess you are, but I can't give you that. But then he says something very interesting. He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, in God's kingdom, right? So he says, yes, you can exceed. You can, you can go for greatness in my kingdom. But it's very different than going for greatness here and now. It's upside down. It's backwards. It's It's illogical. Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's not by, 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 by being the greatest athlete or the greatest author, not that you shouldn't aspire to be the greatest in your field. That's not what we're saying. But he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it comes as you become a great servant of God and others. The path is different. 
The path is different. That's why when, he, when the disciples start to get in a debate about who's going to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus says, that's the path that the Gentiles and the rulers want. They're, following the, they're on the wrong path. They want to be looked up to. They want to be affirmed. And, you know, over and over, Jesus said, the problem with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes and that is they love to pray in public. They love people saying, whoa, look at that. And Jesus, that's not the way my kingdom works. You worry too much about what people think and not enough about what God thinks. When you serve in my kingdom, you begin to you begin to go behind the scenes. And he says, not so with you. You're on the wrong road. And I'll never lead you to greatness in my kingdom. Too many Christians are settling for greatness in this life only. If we're honest, we want to be served. We want to be applauded. We want to be affirmed. It's human nature to want that to want people to like us and to look up us and say, boy, a girl, great job. And we say, well, God, you know, God be praised or praise God and stuff. And yeah, we, we, we believe that. But there's a part of us, isn't there, that, that we go, yeah, yeah, that feels pretty good. But the life of a servant goes unnoticed in this world. Think about this. When was the last time that you were at some big banquet or something and you had people serving you at the tables. Did you pay any attention at all to what, who it was or how, you know, you just, you know, there they are. Hey, could you get me some more? You know, it's like Jesus, the last part of the passage we read first says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we've forgotten the example of Jesus. One of the greatest examples that Jesus ever gave was at the Last Supper at the, at the, in the upper room. Jesus, during the meal, he got up and he began to kneel down. And I, I guess he began with Peter or shortly, shortly after got to Peter. That's where the debate started because Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, okay, well, yeah, I am, and this is why. And Peter says, well, then give me a bath. And he says, no, it's not necessary. I'm just washing your feet. Just relax here for a minute. But here's the point. Jesus gets done with all of that. And this is what it says. It's very interesting. This is John chapter 20, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed when you do them, if you do them. Now, here's the point. Think about this. Servants are looked down upon. 
when Jesus washed their feet, they had to look down upon Jesus. Remember, this is the one who created the heavens and the earth. This is the one who sustains our world as we know it. This is the one who holds the world in his hands. This is the one who came from heaven to earth as a baby, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, climbed up on a cross, and was crucified for you and for me. This is the one who says, you are not your own because you were bought with a price. What was the price? The precious blood of Jesus. This is the one that when he was washing the disciples' feet, they had to look down upon him. There was no lower place that he could go than climb up on a cross and die for our sins. And he did that for you and for me and for those of you who are watching. For every one of us, he, gave his, he came and he gave his life so that we could live. And Jesus basically said, I just want you to follow my example. If I'm God, if I've created this whole world, how in the world are you ever going to come to a place where you say, they don't deserve me serving them? Pretty good case. And yet we, always, we can always come up with reasons why we can't. Jesus basically said, just follow my example. Just do what I'm doing. I love that about Jesus. I love that he doesn't sit there. He's essentially saying, you know, I'm God and I'm washing your feet. Do you need another illustration? Are we clear here? Do we understand what's happening here? So real mature Christians basically say, if Jesus could wash my feet, then I can wash everyone else's feet, irrespective of what I think about them, irrespective of what they look like, irrespective of what I may think about them, because that's not the point. I can love my neighbor. I can do good for those who don't do good for me. I can serve them in multiple ways because that's what Jesus did for me. And Jesus basically says, just follow my example. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done. And after he washed their feet, he climbed up on a cross. That's what he did for you and for me. So when you serve others, you're serving him. You're following his example. That's a sign of maturity. I know it goes counter with the work from the world. I know it's not the way the world operates. But Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become a servant. And you'll be blessed. Now, the question is, do we believe it? Not hard to understand, nothing here. No, there's no difficult concept, no difficult doctrines here. But do we believe it? Will it is it going to make a difference in your life this week as you look for opportunities and how you can serve others, how you can release the resources that God has given you and serve Jesus, serve his church, serve this community, and use your gifts and your abilities and your time, your talent, and your money for his kingdom. And it doesn't have to be a crisis. That's my challenge to you. Would you stand with me and let's pray together?
Father, uh, without your spirit, we can't do this. It just becomes more homework. It just becomes uh, burdensome. Until our hearts are broken, until we get, you get to our hearts, and, and we understand this ownership thing, and we understand the example of Jesus, and we understand what he's done for us, um, we, we can't do this, Father. And thank you, Father, that no matter where a person is at, whether they, they've just crossed that line of faith, they've realized that they're a sinner, and they're lost, and they need a Savior, and they realize that Jesus came from heaven and gave his life on the cross, and lived the life that they should have lived, and died the death that they should have died, and that he gave his life so that they could live, and, and they, they, they placed their faith in him, and called upon the Lord, and said, Jesus, I need you to save me. Would you come into my life and save me? And whether they just did that this moment, uh, or they did it 30 years ago, Father, Thank you that they can be a servant. They can release the resources. They can love God and others. They can help others take one step closer to Jesus. They can act mature in a Christian world that doesn't know up from down. Help us, Father, because we need your help. Your church right now needs your help more than ever before. We need Christians that are willing to serve, to go unnoticed, to go to work behind the scenes, to love people who are unlovely, to show peace to people who are angry and mad, to show grace and mercy to people who don't reciprocate, to serve people who have desperate needs, that you have given us resources that we could help. Father, help us to stand before you one day and for you to say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Help us to be, follow the example of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.